Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning. Well, today we are starting a new series, Corinthian Letters. We're walking through Corinthians. And uh, if you're newer, if you just don't remember, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll go line by line for a while, and then we'll take a break and we'll do some topics, and then we'll come back into Scripture and go line by line in books again. So am I going to get all the way through 1 Corinthians and then in the second? Probably not. <laughs> Definitely not today. Uh, so take breathe easy. But... Uh, as I was just praying, uh, you know, what do we do in the new year, Lord? And this is just what came back, and let's go through Corinthians. And, uh, and as I did, so, just so you know, uh, and I told a couple people this week, if the Holy Spirit's working on you this morning, um, this book was written almost 2,000 years ago, and uh, we're just trying to apply it. It has nobody in mind uh, except our own hearts, and, and uh, it's convicted me quite a bit even this week. And so what's funny about church life, right, evangelical church life, is the things we get caught and stuck on, we've shared on that in the last few months, and, and what we don't. So I have a pastor friend, and he is in a town called Smith Center, Kansas. Yeah, one person, a few people in this room know where that is. So it is, it's kind of neat. It is the geographical center of North America, and, uh, and also... It is in the middle of nothing and nowhere. Uh, the only people who live there are the people who ran out of gas. And, and so, so it's a town of 1,000, 1,500 people, small. It's kind of funny. It was in the news like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago because a bunch of New Agers, including a group from Hollywood, uh, decided to... Um, thinking, thinking that this was the geographical center, what they were going to do was build these series of houses and then meditate from there to send out good vibes to North America from the center. Uh, Clint Eastwood was one of those people. And uh, guess what? It did not work out. Uh, those houses are now empty, and Clint Eastwood is still living in a mansion somewhere else. And so, uh, and he is in this town that is just, it's just small. And he came from, he came from like Arkansas and like near, near, uh, I forget which town, but where Walmart is based and stuff. And, and pastored in large and small towns. And so, but that being said, he, he knew, he knows ranch culture, he knows uh, the South culture. So he was good that way. But even then, the small town and the traditionalism just, man, it just rocked him when he got there because he was changed simply by being a new pastor. He was not trying to change everything up front. He was, and they just, man, uh, they, just, they just gave him a horrible time from day one. Just, just a nightmare. And uh, I've I ministered in that town numerous times. Jen was with me. Um, and uh, my family went with me one time as we drove through. We stopped there. But um, he is now in a, in a much nicer building. But they used to be in this little tiny white church. And this was during the boom of like the 40s. 
that they, that these, these, if you didn't know, in like the 40s, there was like an agricultural boom for a while post-World War II. And some of these small towns that are built around the granaries, okay, uh, they, they, they would experience these population booms. Not like here, but like a few hundred and maybe a few thousand. And, and this church was planted in that time. And they, got, they had a big neon cross, Jesus saves, right there on the sticking out from the building. But by the time we've got there in the late 2000s, it didn't look like Jesus saves. It looked like Jesus died on the cross and we don't know what happened to him after that. That's how the church looked. It was just rough. Um, it was a cool sign, but that church was, and, and, and we, we were a traveling team that we would spend night in churches a lot, spent the night in the church that night. And I'm guessing somewhere in the 40s, post-Great Depression, everybody was anorexic because those were the smallest pews I've ever seen. <laughs> half of me got on them, literally half the night. I woke up, oh, no, get off, back on, get off, back on. And I was even smaller than, than I am now, and, and I could not, that was a rough night. That was a long, it was just, this place was in rough shape. And so the pastor one day, you know, as God moves in his heart and life, he eventually, on the opposite side of him, so he's here, on the opposite side, literally right behind, okay? This is not like our church move where we may have to go 15, 20 minutes in a direction to find a home. No, he, he went a minute walk on the block <laughs> behind him. Um, this is, you know, this is a town where if you walk for five minutes, you're out of town, okay? Okay, so, so he, he basically went after and purchased what was a hardware hank, which if you don't know what that is, and you don't, because um, you're from here, most of you, anybody here know what a hardware hank is? My wife. You want to know why? Because she had a great uncle who owned one in a small town. <laughs> um, but they were like Ace Hardware, but it was a big hardware hank. And he basically went after it and bought it. And you know what happened? Everybody in that church left. And now his church is about five times the size or more of what it was. Winning people to Christ. In a town that has a lot of dead churches and a lot of religion. But change was not okay. Now, we're us, so change is not too difficult for people to thrive, right? You know, I was saying this morning, if we've been in a location for more than nine months, it's like we've been there five years. Just like we've always done it this way. The chairs go on the white line, right? <laughs> um, that's, that's what we do. That's how it goes here. Like, <laughs> um, but we do, what's funny is we can literally fall into the same patterns, right? Religion and, and just getting stuck and getting in on things that break us up happen easily and quickly. What's interesting is the Bible actually says the little foxes spoil the vine. How many know when things fall apart, it's almost never one thing? There's usually a tipping point, but there's a build. And that build usually comes from little things building. They build up, and that's what happened in the church in Corinth. They were an awesome little church that God was moving in, in a Roman region, that God was doing all this cool stuff in this church. You know what I love about the New Testament? You never read about, they were large, they were over a thousand. We never hear that. Man, if they were a church over 20, they were rocking. Because, you know, you got eaten by lions. So, um, <laughs> which discourages a movement, if you didn't know. So, so 
they, they, were, they were struggling, and, but more so, they, they began to kind of fall into sin, too. What's interesting, I don't, I don't know, and the Bible isn't really clear, which comes first, sin or division? It doesn't really say. And I have a feeling they're synonymous, but it happens. Division causes sin in our lives, and sin can cause us a division. Now here's the thing. I want you to take heart and take this encouragement. The church of God on the earth is not going anywhere and never will. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is true. His bride is not going off the face of the earth. However, churches close their doors all the time. I won't name names, but I can walk you into doors of churches in this town right here, right now. That maybe have 20, 30 people. And they've been that way forever. It's amazing to me the ability of a church to live in hospice for 10 years or 20. Like, we're dead, but we're not going anywhere. You know, like, it's just, it's amazing. And, and, and what happened in the church in Corinth is they were beginning the things that would destroy them. They didn't see it that way. And Paul writes them a letter saying, we got some issues. And then his second letter, second letter, way worse than the first one, which we're not getting to today. But he, he deals with that, and he says, hey, come on, church. Come on. Now, am I worried about our church this way? No. But I also know we're people. It's just going to happen. If you're like, man, everybody's the best at Thrive. Thanks for coming. You've been here two weeks. All right? <laughs> Like, we're filled with people, and every single one of us has our junk and our garbage, and we're going to hurt each other. You're going to disagree with me at things I say from the pulpit. Great. Take it back to the Word. Weigh it out. Do me a favor. Take it back to the Word before you call a meeting. Just do that, okay? <laughs> um, just, all right. Anyway, um, so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And here's what he's writing to, and, and this is what he says. So we're going to try and get through the, most of the first chapter today. Um, the, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes. Just so you know, a little interesting side note, means nothing, but it's kind of interesting. They always start with who, who wrote it, right? We do the opposite. That was their custom back then. They wrote, they said who wrote it and, their, and all those things at the beginning instead of at the end. So that's why he starts that way. Um, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to who you've all been called to be and by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank God for you and the gracious gifts he's given you now that you belong to Jesus. I find it so interesting that Paul stops and just, before he's about to hammer him, he says, I want you to know I love you, and I thank God for you, and I think you're great. He's letting them know up front. Like, and so it's an age-old problem. When we face correction or rebuke or dis just disagreement, any kind of conflict, a lot of times we, we're just jerks about it. We're not good with it. We don't listen to people. I'm, I'm really good at being bad at conflict. Um, and, and he just starts with, you need to know how much I love you. All right. 
Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms what I told you that Christ is, about Christ is true. And now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await our return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Even here, he's about to rebuke the church and he's saying, hey, you're going to get through this. God is good. You're going to make it. He's starting with that before he's like, and now the problems. Okay. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be from all blame when Jesus returns. God will do this. He's faithful to do what he says. He's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to pray. Father, I pray that you would speak. I want your words, not mine. Convict us, God. Convict me. Holy Spirit, change me and have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of this may be a hard word. Don't worry, nobody's names are in here. <laughs> um, and nobody's written in mine, okay? Um, but if so, for what's hard and what you can't handle, do me a favor. Don't react and don't take offense. Put it on the shelf and say, all right, Lord, help me walk this out. Let me know what's true. And what is... One thing that in church culture, we always want to apply everything to ourselves. Not everything applies to you. If you're like, oh, you're living in adultery and you must repent, and you're like nine, yeah, I do, I am. <laughs> you're not and you don't. <laughs> okay, so not everything applies to everybody everywhere. So take a deep breath on that. But he starts with some ideas. Verses one through three. Here's the first thing I think Paul is telling us in that section Choose God over yourself. Choose God over you. He says, you are God's holy people. The word holy means set apart, different. Okay, it's only used in reference to God until the New Testament. And then he says, and now God has endowed you with this as well. You are to be holy. You're to be different, unique, set apart, and now he's saying this to us as a church, not, this, not just individuals. He's saying to a group of people, a collective, you are individually but also together to be different than the world. Now some people think that means anti the world. It does, sometimes it does mean that. Sometimes it just means different. There's a lot of Christians who want to be apolitical because somehow that's how Jesus was. He was not. Romans killed him because he was political. But sometimes we're political and sometimes we're not because those things cross over and come back on political issues. They just do. Okay? I believe worshiping freely is not a political issue. It's a kingdom issue. Does it cross over into politics? It does. But not because I asked for it. It's because they encroached on me, not the other way around. Right? We are to be a people who choose God over just what I want. And then he moves on. You're, you're, you have everything you need. You're going to make it. You're strong in him. God has given us everything we need to be holy. He made us holy, and he's perfecting us into holiness and he's given us the grace and the power to be holy. 
Some are like, oh, I just can't give this up. Then you don't believe the Lord at his word. I'm not saying it's easy. No, man, our struggles aren't easy. But grace is sufficient. God's goodness is bigger than my struggle. It is true. I doubt it often too. I doubt it that God's big enough for my problem. Or, no, God is, but I just can't. Some of us do that. I do that. Anybody play that game? I know God can, but I can. Anybody play that game? You do realize we just inverted our way into God's space, right? (laughs) I know God can, but I can't. Yeah, but it's not about you. (laughs) Right? It's not about me. You, You just stop the sentence at the first part. I know God can. I can't. Yes, we all know you can't. I can't either, but God can. <laughs> right? That's the part we need to focus on. That's the part we need to get good at and remembering and drilling ourselves into. And what I like most here is he's about to give them some hard words. He's trying to remind them, this is who you are. Do you remember who you are? Do you remember whose son and whose daughter you are? Do you remember who you belong to? Do you remember what God's doing in this space? Do you remember what he spoke to you? Do you remember how he changed your life? Do you remember how he he sanctified you and renewed you? How many of you remember the day you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Put your hand up. If not, come to the altar right now. Okay. All right, so why? Because we were changed that day from death to life. And he's trying to say, I remind you again, stop, you, you remember that day you came? You chose God over death. You chose God over your life, and he saved you and actually gave you a real life. Do it again. And do it every day. And do it moment by moment. Choose the Lord, and not what you're going through. Because you know what, if anybody's learned anything You're around long enough, you're like, you're just not going to stop going through stuff. And every single one of them is an opportunity to say, God, I'm going to choose you again. Help me. I said this the other day. I respect those who struggle in church. It's the ones who say, I'm out. I don't respect that a lot. I'm always like, loser. That's a terrible thing to say, but that's how I feel. I'm like, dude, come on. Not up or shut up. Get in there. <laughs> Dig. <laughs> you know, deal. That's how I feel. I'm angry at all the people who say, well, I'm just wrestling right now. But you left the ring. You chose you. And you think you're going to solve your problems that you probably created. Wrong! Wrestle in here. Wrestle with him. Wrestle with his word. Jacob did. God blessed him and gave him a new life and a new name. Wrestling with God isn't bad. It's leaving the ring that's bad. We think we're choosing God because when I'm wrestling God, I'm still choosing him. Come on. Choose him over you. You are awesome, but you're not that awesome. You know, like, uh, we're still people. We still stink. We still hurt each other. We still refuse to see our brokenness. All of us. Me especially. And I need him way more than I need me. I love that song today. 
Great job, Emma. I need more of you, less of me. We're living in a time where it's just like, I just need to find my true self. No, you need to find Jesus. Your true self, isn't that amazing? Jesus is, though. Well, I want to find my true identity in Jesus. No, find Jesus. Just to find him, identity will come. You'll figure it out. Because when you figure out who he is, you figure out everything. He's faithful to do what he says in verse 9. God is going to come through. God is going to speak. He's going to move. He's going to do it. You, we should want to be where God is and be a part of what he's doing. Do what God is doing. How is God doing it? Do it his way. Where is God moving? Be there. What is God doing? Do that. Why is God doing it? Get his heart on it. Choose God, not me. Choose God, not you. And the next thing he follows up with, and this is really going to rattle it, verse 10, verse 10 through 11, okay? I want to read the verse first. Let me read the verses first. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels among my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others saying, I follow Apollos. Or I follow Peter. Or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, for no, now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh, yes, I also baptized in the house of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. <laughs> Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear the cross would lose its power. Here's what I, I think a lot of what he's saying right here. Choose family over individuality. Now that is really upsetting to the American Western church mindset. Pastor Brian, you cannot rob me of my personhood. My agency, how dare you? This is communism. This is a cult. Well, there it is. By the way, communism is a cult. But anyway... <laughs> We are so hyper-individualistic right now, we will take down the whole to save the one. We will kill a family to save a dog. Like, this is where we are. We're so messed up. We've gone so far. We've decided that I can decide I am my own. I, I can create my own gender. What a lie. It's hyper-individuality. Whatever I want to be, however I want to be it, at any given time, anywhere. And if anybody doesn't accept it, I cut them out because they're toxic. They're evil. They're narcissistic. They're whatever. Look, the world can do what it's going to do. I, I wish I could save the world. No, only God can save the world. And notice, this letter's to the church. You're like, well, I'm all those things you said, and I'm offended, Pastor Brian. Good. You may not be a member of the church, but... Um, He's saying this to a church, 
to a body of believers. And he's saying your individuality and what you prefer is killing the whole of what God created. Whew. Man. Well, I like, I, like, I like Dallas Willard. Well, I like John Orberg. Well, I like... I like, I like Joel Osteen. Well, I like TBN. Well, I only like this person. And I, shut up. Stop it. We don't even realize it, but we're killing the church. There's a woman, and I'll call her name out. Her name is Julie Royce. She has an entire website dedicated to taking down ministers and reporting what's wrong with them or what they did wrong at some point in life. And you know what? Some of it's good. Some of it's like, this is messed up. This person probably shouldn't be in ministry. And some of it just feels like stone throwing. I'm going to take people down if they ever made a mistake. Like, man, you realize none of us can stand then, right? Is this the ministry you want to take on? Nobody in here does, but please don't create a YouTube channel saying what's wrong with every preacher. Stop. It's not helping anymore. Honestly, we need a movement, a wave of God blessing with unity that we're of one heart and one mind again. We need it in the church. We need to stop criticizing. And if anybody's good at criticizing, it's me. I can tell you 10 things wrong with sunshine. Just give me a minute. Because I can just be good at complaining and seeing what's wrong. And just like, yeah, I've said it before. You get a puppy, and I love dogs, okay? But I don't being sarcastic. But you get a puppy, I'd be like, you peed on the carpet. <laughs> like, there's a puppy. Yeah, he smells. <laughs> like, I, I can with anything. And we are like this with the church so much. And some of, us, some of us know the person who can go to church and find everything wrong with it. And I would tell you that person, not possessed, but they are under a demonic influence that is robbing them of the unity of the family of God. Psalms 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, when God's people dwell together in unity. We have created this thing that we can somehow be separated and together. And we can't. We have to be of one heart and one mind. We live in this age of whataboutism. Well, what about this? What about that? You know what it sounds a lot like to me when I hear it now? It sound, whataboutism sounds a lot like, did God really say? which is what he said to Eve in the garden to deceive her. If you try and knock down every pillar that holds up the house because we question it, here's the thing. There is healthy questioning in the ring. Then there's unhealthy questioning that's just demolition. Or maybe the word is Deconstruction. Say, well, I'm deconstructing. I love you. I would even not use that terminology. I would get back in and stop deconstructing and start wrestling. Get back in the ring. Here's what unity isn't, just so you know. Unity is not agreeing on everything. No. We actually have open-handed, closed-handed issues, Okay? Jesus Christ is the one true Son of God, okay? He lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. We don't move on that, okay? We believe the Holy Spirit's alive and active today. We don't move on that. Open-handed issues? I don't know, when Jesus comes back. 
Oh, hopefully soon, please. <laughs> but I don't know. You're like, no, he told me. 2027, I know. You're weird and you don't know. <laughs> okay, it's not true. You don't know, right? These are open-handed issues. You know, well, I prefer gospel music. Sorry, a lot of us are white. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's not personal. It's just, uh, it's, we, uh, like, have you watched white people try to play gospel music? It just, it's tough. It's hard. It's not personal. You know, it's like, we're just bad at it. It's not, like, it's, it's not agreeing on everything, okay? And some of you are like, I'm not white. I know, thank you for being here and enduring. <laughs> okay, ignoring problems. It's not, unity is not ignoring problems. What it's saying is problems aren't paramount. You know, my marriage, we disagree on some stuff. <laughs> You're like, no kidding. <laughs> I know, like, we disagree on some things. My wife would be like, we could get TV out of our house and never have it. Yes. You want to know what my response is to that? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's my response. Anyway. <laughs> Right? Some of you are, all the, all the moms are pretending to be like, yes. And deep down you're like, well, there are some things I like to watch. Okay. Um, <laughs> no offenses. Right? That I'm never going to be offended. You will be offended. Here's the thing. Here's what's so interesting. If you want to never be offended, you, can, you just have to basically isolate forever. But what's so amazing, do you know, sol- uh, do you know solitary confinement? It's now proven. It just leads to insanity. It leads to being psychotic because the mind has to be with other people in order to stay sane. So I went through a season, I'm going to just be real candid with you, where I went through major PTSD and anxiety after we lost my son. I was having the worst thoughts in the world that I won't say here or say to almost anybody. I've said some to my wife and a counselor. The worst thoughts in the world went through my head. And I couldn't stop. It's like I couldn't stop thinking them. Well, it was, it was a mental thing from anxiety, from PTSD, and it was a form of OCD. I couldn't, it, I couldn't it's like I couldn't get control of my own mind. I was in the fetal position sometimes, scared to death to even move. No, this was a decade ago. And I remember the doctor, he was rare good doctors these days, but he was one of those. And he said, I'm going to, for a season, I took an anti-anxiety pill. And he helped, it helped me a lot for a season, till it didn't, and then I got off of it. But um, he said, I remember, it was so good, he gave him, and as he writes this prescription, he says this, he says, this is not going to cure it. Here, here's what will, prayer is what you're doing now seeing a counselor, and I said, I feel like I can't even be around anybody, and he said, no, 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 it's just the opposite. You need to be with people. He understood, he was in a healthy place, I was not, and he knew this level of community would help. Now, I wasn't hurt at any, there was nobody, this was me, this was my stuff, nobody caused this, you know, but my own, you know, brokenness and, and things I'd been through. But I, I, I was afraid to be around people. And I, if I told you some of the stuff, you'd know why. 
And it was, I was glad that it was a God appointment that somebody, this guy looked at me and said, no, 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 just trust me. And, and what it did was it eventually, it began to balance out like, no, this isn't who you are. This isn't these things. This isn't who they are. This isn't going to happen. Now, within reason, right? I wasn't, I wasn't joining marches of thousands of people because I would have broke down. Okay? I couldn't do that for a while. I had to stay away from travel for a while, from crowds for a while. There, there, there's, there's levels, and we walk healing out slowly, but we also walk healing out. Okay, moving on. Um, so unity is not no offenses. Unity for unity's sake. This is my favorite one. All the guys who are like, there's a lot of people who don't go to church who then want you to join their church event. You know what I'm talking about? The ones who are like, oh, I go to seven different churches, and now I'm trying to bring all the pastors together. You know what's funny? They never do. You know why? Most pastors, one, they're, 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 they're working on their people and with their people, and it takes a lot of time and resources. Anybody know this takes a lot of work? Yeah, you, you, we're a portable church. You know it takes a lot of work, right? So to do other things and at it can be tough. But unity for unity's sake is we're going to have a worship night of all the 2,700 churches in Chicagoland. Well, that sounds cool. Can I get all your support and all your people? No, nah, probably not. Why? Don't you believe in unity? I do. I just don't believe in unity for unity's sake. I believe in unity for the sake of the kingdom of God advancing on the earth. Now, is there anything wrong with a worship night altogether with a bunch of churches? No. Is that our end goal on the tip of the spear? No. See what I mean? Some of us are like, well, why can't we just come together? Again, it's not ignoring everything. It's not no offenses. It's learning what we can agree on, you know, and what we can't isn't a big deal. And we, we begin to let go. What, what, like, this is immovable. Unity for unity's sake is we all just got to agree for all the things because God. No, that's not it either. And, and so, so then he moves, uh, you know, I, uh, in the positive side, John Lindell said it this way. I, I've shared it with you before. John Lindell pastored a very large church, Springfield, Missouri. And he said he, they've seen a great move of God and they've grown exponentially over 30 years and that early on, in those first like 10 years, some reporter says to him, how do you keep this up? How do you keep it going? Because they were just growing, growing, growing. But God was moving, you know. How does that happen? And here's what John Lindell said to them. They, they put it in whatever magazine it was. And he said, this keeps going as long as we keep our hearts right. And the moment we don't, it stops. And that's true of every church everywhere, isn't it? Here's what's amazing. I've known churches that fell apart, and the people that were a part of them usually did not do well after. There is something sovereignly intrinsic with the individual and the church being connected and not being separated. We can't make it without you, and you can't make it without us. He can make it without us. He's going to be fine. The grand scheme of the church, yeah, that'll make it too, because that's his will. But this, this is beautiful and tender, right? Some of us are like, we're tough. I'm not, but the truth is, we all, we, we, we bleed if we're cut. 
We all need each other. Okay, so he says, thinking about the same, we have the same thinking and the same mission. United in heart and purpose, in thought and mind, in thought and purpose. Basic thing, here's a good question. What are your thoughts towards other people? Your spouse, people in this house, people in your life, what do you think about them? And there's a, there's a great version of 1 Corinthians 13. So same book, a little later in the book, all right, later in this letter, okay, which we'll talk on when we get there, but he says something I think is so good. He breaks down 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter, right? Say the love chapter. You gotta drop on the love, right? The Barry White version. So you can put it on the screen. I'm not gonna even read the whole thing because we don't have time. But he says this towards, towards the end in the message version. He says, love always looks for the best. When it comes to the people of God and the family of God, and maybe even yourself, are you assuming the best? Some of you assume the worst about yourself. God doesn't do that with you. Some of you assume the worst about somebody else. God doesn't do that with you. And we all do it. Right? We can all eventually get into the place of marriage where like the old ball and chain. Right? And, and we do that. And that, but eventually you're like, this is wildly unhealthy and destructive. It chips away at a relationship. We have to force our, our flesh to get back in with our spirit and say, I'm going to assume the best. That's a tough one. You know, I'll give you an example. The other night, Glory, uh, Glory it was a certain medicine, and, and Glory was like, Daddy gave me four to, to Ange. And Angela's like, what? And she caught herself, and she's like, no, we didn't. <laughs> you know, why? Because she assumed the best about me in that moment, that I'm not an idiot or a psychopath, <laughs> right? And I don't. I didn't give her four. I gave her one, you know, of what she needed at that time. But she, you know, but she assumed the best about me. But had she not, what would have happened that night? At the very least, a fight, and at the very worst, a very damaging situation. She would have questioned me as a parent. She would have questioned our relationship. She would have questioned my fatherhood, our family dynamic. You see what I mean? In one split second, her assuming the best about me saved hours, days, months of a nightmare. Thank you. (laughs) No. All right. But we're too self-indulgent for this. We're just really self-indulgent, guys. America is a self-indulgent society. You can have whatever you want. You cannot. You can have whatever God wants. And some of us, even if you get everything you want, you're going to find out it's not enough. And some of us think, well, I'm okay with unity or this or that. I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. I cannot tell you the amount of times and I've done it myself, where you're like, well, I'm just setting a boundary on them, or I'm just, they're just toxic, or this or that. And this is hard. And again, if this doesn't apply to you, don't take it. This was written with nobody in mind, okay? Abe Lincoln used to ask a question. He said, if you call a dog's tail a leg, how many legs does it have now? Most people would answer Abe Lincoln, Five. And he would reply, no, 
He still only has four legs. Just because you call it a leg doesn't make it one. And some of us, just because we call it boundaries doesn't mean it's not unforgiveness or division. Some of you struggle with this. Boundaries is a great book, and we have to have boundaries. I've said to Ann, if somebody breaks into my house and starts my kitchen on fire three times, guess what? You're not coming in my kitchen. <laughs> We're done. That is a good, we need boundaries. They're absolute. We have to have boundaries. Nobody's arguing against boundaries. Okay? Unfortunately, it's just some people use them for the idea of unforgiveness or division. Now, on the other end is true too, right? The other end, some of us just never set a boundary and it breaks us eventually. Also not okay, right? God set boundaries. Before the fall, there was a boundary on the Garden of Eden. So boundaries are from God. They're good. They're healthy, okay? But godly boundaries, this is gonna be good, Godly boundaries virtually never burn bridges. Usually. Now, sometimes, like, no. <laughs> Look, if somebody, somebody, we've had spouses, they, they beat the other person on a regular basis. Can't stay in that relationship. Just can't. That is maybe a burn bridge situation. But it's more so actually that person's choices that burn the bridge. We've had a few, we've had, I remember, we've counseled with so many couples and, uh, you know, some couples where you're like, I want to keep my marriage. And you're like, you keep lighting the kitchen on fire. Like, you don't, your words and your actions have to, we have to align them. And he's telling the Corinthian church this. You know, it's all of these things. And in your own life, some of us, have to draw hard boundaries on hard things. Okay, my wife and I, we have a hard boundary on not drinking. We don't ever and never have. And we've never missed out on a thing. You know, nothing. Now that being said, do you have to have that boundary? You don't. It's not a biblical boundary. What a biblical boundary is, no drunkenness. That's a biblical boundary. Okay. Um, the point I'm really trying to make is unity is contended for. In a church, it, we fight for unity. We fight for it. And it starts in the family and it starts in your home. If you are really committed to your church and your family's falling apart, you are missing it. Okay? Not good. That's not good. Don't want that. Because basically, if your family falls apart, some of you aren't going to be here at some point anyway. And guess what? The church is still hurt. Right? So your, does your family come first? Absolutely. Every time. But some people take that too far, like, because my kid's in seven different types of soccer and eight different types of travel ball and uh, nine different dance leagues and uh, ten different ice skating. Things. Like, so when do you go to church? Uh, sometime in, in the last, I, I went in the 90s, you know, before the kids were born. Like, no, I don't encourage you. <laughs> You're not going to like this. All right, here we go. If your kids are in travel things, carve out Sundays. Say, well, that's legalistic, Pastor Brian. 
We are in a day and a time where we should be a little more legalistic about church and less legalistic about sports and activities. Because we aren't winning this game right now. And I don't mean thrive, I mean the church in general. Now, some of you are like, well, my kid's in one thing, you know, I'm gone this semester, once a semester. Like, yeah, I don't care. Take your vacations. I take Sundays off, okay? But if you're like every second and third week of church, I'm just not there because, well, you know, I feel like, I feel a little snifflies, you know. Joey's got travel ball in Peoria. Like, I just relay the message that somebody gave to me a long, long time ago, and I thought it was so awesome. They said, and it was specifically to fathers, said, if you teach your children to take church casually, your children will learn the lesson to take God casually. I promise you it's true. I promise you it's true. So again, this is a hard, strong word. Don't hate me at the end of this. <laughs> take, what, take what's good, leave what isn't, wrestle with the Lord. Wait five days on the email. Okay, so three warning signs, three warning signs that you are, you are choosing yourself instead of maybe others and family in the church. Three warning signs. Number one, are we just looking for an out? Some people are just looking for a reason to leave. Don't. You know, the pastor didn't say hi to me today. Man, if I am your standard, raise your standards. <laughs> As I am a low bar. You know, like, um, did Jesus meet with you today? That should be the thing. Did he speak? Worship wasn't as good today, which isn't true today. Worship killed it today, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but, like, worship wasn't as good today. Good thing we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> All right? Don't look for an out. All right, two, are we looking for an offense? Some of us are, some of us are better at being offended. I am one of them. Ask my wife. <laughs> I am better at being offended than she is. Some of you, even right now, are like, is Pastor Brian offended at me? I am. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm not. Um, I am. But you know who can't be offended? The humble and the forgiving. Now, again, hurt is not necessarily offense, and you need to distinguish the two. Somebody can be working through hurt doesn't mean they're working through offense. Give people space and time on that. But if it's been three months, that's maybe problematic. Now, I'll give you an example. My friend, I'm going to see him today, his wife passed away. It's going to be way longer than a couple of months. It's going to be a couple years. That's, that's traumatic. This is, and again, different things. Well, again, Pastor Brian didn't say hi to me. I just need to process this hurt. How long have you been processing? Six months. <laughs> no. I know some people who, they've taken sabbaticals from churches. You left on God. You're deceiving yourself. I love you. Get back to church. All right, three, are we looking for a better option? If you want to find a better church, you always will, till you don't. I want a church that doesn't set up and doesn't meet in a gym. All right but you're going to find something less awesome. <laughs> Say, you know, the, well, I want to start a church that has the midweek programs for all my little kids. Great. And you'll find something else wrong there too. Just give it time. 
Go to the church you're called to, not the church that just suits your needs. Hopefully you get both, but you won't. (laughs) Truthfully. This is a God thing. And I'm about done. So worship team, you can come. (laughs) All right. Years ago, as a young youth pastor, I was forced to read a guy's paper on his philosophy of church. And it's it's a long story. And I don't have time for it. But I remember taking some things away from it. And one of the things I took away is a small, broken youth group or, or struggling church can be the more transformative, life-changing thing than the mega-awesome thing that has everything you want and need. And here's why. Because my kids know and love every one of you, and you do the same for them. And it has changed their life in ways my wife and I could never do on our own. We don't have a youth group of 50 or 100 kids. But that's not what changes lives. And you know what? Those are cool when we get them. And am I believing for that one day for our church? Come on, it's coming. There will be a day we can't contain it and we won't know where to find any more seats. That day will come. And I'll thank God for that day. But I won't resent this day. Because this day is three times more full than it was three years ago. On a medium to average day. Yeah. Why? And yet, we know each other's names and it's transformative. I thank God for Howie and Chase and, and, and Kaylin and Noah. And everybody in between. Because we change each other by the power of the Holy Spirit in community. Something happens. It's awesome. Don't look for the better option. And lastly, choose purpose over preference. Hey, screen guys, choose purpose over preference. You just click it. Yeah, it's the button. Thanks. <laughs> I love you. It's all right. Thanks. We choose purpose over preference. He said, be in one mind. So this last week, I read a book just for this message. And the book is called Autopsy of a Dead Church by Tom Rainer, who's like a church expert, had been a pastor for many years. At one point was the CEO of Lifeway Books, Lifeway, the whole company, which is now no longer. But autopsy of a deceased church and he basically went through 14 different churches consulted with all of them some very large, some average, some small but they all died been around decades hundreds of years some of them and he, what was the common thread, and there was different there was like 7 or 10 different things, I'm not going to name them all, some of them they wouldn't apply to us at all, like they shouldn't have went with the new or old pulpit, like not our problem Okay, right? I put, we put carpeting on the stage. You know what I found out? No one cared. No one noticed here. Like, oh, you did? There's, that's carpeted? Yes. It looks better. You're like, I, don't, I didn't notice. Right, because we're in a gym and nobody notices these things. Right? But, and that's fine. But one thing we can't do as a church that we can always do, and the most common thread of all these dead churches they got off mission 
and the mission is the Great Commission. Churches die when the mission is no longer the Great Commission. Winning souls. We do RFK camp, and I've, I've said to Kimmy from day one, I want these kids to know Christ more than anything else. More than anything. Do I want to keep them safe, love on them, and pour lavish love on them? Do I want our, you guys, absolutely. But I want all of that to point to Jesus. Again, we, we don't force anybody into anything. That's not our bag. Okay? We need to be a church that is a soul-winning church. Scott Hinkle, a few of us are going in a few in a month. And if you want to go, I want to hear from you. You have to be 18 or older. It's going to be about $1,000. We're going to go into the streets of Mardi Gras. It is during Mardi Gras. Okay, we just leave before Fat Tuesday, which is the worst day. And we witness in the streets. And why? Because we want to be winning souls. Those people aren't going to come to our church. When you, when you sow seed like that, God moves. And, 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 and if you want to go, please go. But ultimately, here's what I'm trying to say. Any empty seat in this room should break our hearts at least a little. Not because the room needs to be full, but because souls need to go home. I was with Scott Hinkle, who was leading this Mardi Gras outreach when he was here last. And he was on top staff for a while, Tommy Barnett, which if you don't know, just look, ginormous church. He's been doing this many years, amazing man of God. One thousands, maybe millions to Christ. He's like the Billy Graham of the Assemblies of God, but I remember Scott Hinkle just saying about a man, if there's one thing I can say about Phoenix First Assembly is they are a soul-winning church. I just long for somebody to say that about Thrive Church. I want somebody to say that about me. I'm not there like I want to be, but I want to be God. Make me a soul winner. And I want to be more on that mission than I am on any other mission. Do I want people healed here? Yes. I want people, I want miracles. Sure. Do I want people to grow and know the word deeply and it's rooted in their life and they can quote it up and down? You bet. Sure. All of that. But if people aren't coming to know Jesus, I don't care. I know churches where people are healed, where people aren't saved. And I, I, I condemn that idea. I know churches where people know the word, and man, they can tell you theology up and down, but people don't know Jesus, aren't making Jesus known. They want no part of it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10.
Your grace.